Gary Meyer, how are you, buddy? Very good, Dave. Very good. You know, it is Veterans Day weekend and celebrating our veterans and talking about something your father did over 40 years ago was a tradition for me as a listener over the years. It's been a tradition on my show for the past decade is this amazing recording by your late father. Thank you once again for your time and and highlighting this tape over the years. It is much appreciated. I'm sure my late father would just be overwhelmed that you're giving him this kind of audience to share this moment in time that he spent in World War II. And this was on Christmas Eve in 1944, where he recollects a battle. And this 13-minute tape, if this doesn't tell you the horrors of war, I don't know. I, I know we have a lot of other images, but this 13 minutes is so powerful for those of us who will never be in a battle and don't want to be, obviously, because that, that's not something that you would choose to do. But the people that do, my God, they come back in a lot of these experiences. And up until the last, say, 20, 30 years, they didn't know about PTSD. No. So these, these people suffered silently. Well, and here's the thing, too. Generations, I mean, most of our generations, our grandparents, our, our great-grandparents, they never talked about this stuff. This was not something you had to pull teeth to get a story out of them. And, and it was the same thing with your dad. Your dad never really talked to you about this. And it, it kind of surprised you one day when you turned on your tape recorder and there it was. Here's the moment that I'll never forget. It's etched in my mind. This was, as you mentioned, over 40 years ago. I walk into his house. He's sitting at the kitchen table with his little Panasonic recorder. He had just finished recording this piece that we're going to hear. He plays it for me, and he said, would you and your partner, Steve, play this on your show? And it was so powerful. I thought, oh, my God. So I played it for Steve, and he said, yeah, we, we have to play this. And we did, and the reaction, as you can imagine, was overwhelming and still is to this day. Well, I almost feel that Veterans Day, you know, is first of all, with the news feeds the way they are and all the craziness happening in our world, it, it's good to take a moment. And, and that's why I said to you before we started the conversation is we've played snippets over the last couple of years. I want people to hear the entire 13 minutes because it's going to slow everybody down and think about what we're celebrating and how we need to venerate our fallen and our veterans every day for what they've done to sacrifice for our country. Exactly, exactly. Thank you again for doing this. All right, more with Gary Myers. We explore the true meaning and sacrifice of what our veterans mean to our country next on 720 WGN. All right, we are talking to Radio Hall of Famer Gary Meyer about his father's tape recalling a 48-hour period of battle in December 1944 during his service in the U.S. Army under General George Patton. In its entirety, here's Frank Meyer. As I look out my bedroom window every December with the little farmhouse behind us, my thoughts are reflected in December of 1944. Our division had just received word that the Germans had broken through our lines and had advanced 50 miles into Belgium. Uh, the whole mood at the time in our camp was one of concern and apprehension, for we all thought that the war would soon be over since we were now fighting on German soil. I knew that being an infantryman in General Patton's 3rd Army meant a lot of action. Headquarters had sent word down to all our companies to be ready to move out as soon as possible. The next morning, uh, we piled into our trucks with our gear and was well, well on our way to, to the front lines. It was a very slow-moving process. 
where the trucks were bumper to bumper and the weather was turning cold with blowing snow. We trudged along all that day moving at a snail's pace, going along at about 10 to 15 miles an hour. And in our haste, we even had to bring the German prisoners along with us because we didn't have time to dispose of them through the proper channels. One of the GIs I remembered even yelled out, what are we doing? Bringing reinforcements for the Germans? That day, the column moved slowly due to the fact that we took all the secondary roads while the armored took to the main highways. That evening, we stayed in a hayloft in the barn and the temperature now had fallen into the teens. We covered up ourselves as best as we could with all the hay around us. And it wasn't very, and it was a very comfortable feeling after riding all day with the snow and the wind blowing at your face. It wasn't long, however, when the sergeant called my name to pull guard duty. Boy, I could have shot that sergeant for waking me up from that nice warm spot in the hayloft. It must have been around two or three in the morning. Time didn't matter much because you realized that you weren't punching a clock to go home. I pulled my first guard duty with a little Italian from Brooklyn. He was only about five foot two and weighed about 110 pounds dripping wet. We went to our positions together, which was a machine gun emplacement. He was a very quiet individual although I did try to make conversation. I nicknamed him the Little Paisan, and to this day I still do not remember his name. During the course of our guard duty, he pulled out a little gas burner from underneath his coat and proceeded to cover himself over with his raincoat. And before long, he had a steady blue flame going. We had to be careful not to expose any of this light in the event that the Germans were in the surrounding area. He warmed up our rations while I kept watch for both of us. That was the first warm food we had had for three days. I said to myself, well, I'm going to keep close to that little guy for the cold days ahead. The next morning, our outfit started out on foot toward the front. We were told to keep moving until we engaged the enemy. For at this point, we did not know where the Germans had advanced to. We had walked about 20 miles that day and took refuge that evening out in the open, digging our foxholes and keeping watch all that night. The next morning, we started out once again. I was trying to stay as close to my little Italian friend because warm K-rations now were very appealing to me. It wasn't long, however, that I heard rifle fire ahead, and our lieutenant yelled, hit the side of the road. I jumped immediately to a ditch covered with snow and laid there frightened with the realization that this would be my first major engagement with the enemy. We were now being shelled and pinned down by German tanks firing from the reverse side of the slope, which was from a little town of Hostert, Belgium. Our artillery started its barrage, but some of the shells were falling short into our own lines. This soon was corrected, and we inched our way closer so that our firepower from our company and the other flanking us would become very effective. 
Needless to say, the battle raged on all that day and late into the afternoon. The medics were hurrying about picking up the wounded. By nightfall, the few remaining Germans had, sur had surrendered, and the tanks had rambled off to the next town, which was Eschdorf. I was amazed at how young some of the Germans were, 16, 17 years of age. They were all dressed in white fur-lined garments, which of course was hard to see when they were blended in with a snowy background. We still had our brown khakis and made a good target laying out there in the snow. Our outfit was quickly assembled and we were told that night that we would make an attack at about 1 a.m. Our objective was the town of Eschdorf. After a warm meal and a few hours rest, we again set out to meet the enemy. We had not gone very far when the Germans opened fire and pinned us down. Off in a distance, I heard some of our tanks coming up in position. Before they even stopped, the German Tiger tanks had opened fire and made direct hits on two of our tanks. I heard the men screaming, and then there was total silence. I laid there motionless on the frozen snow, looking up at the stars of heaven. It was a clear night, and all the stars twinkled. At this moment, I realized it was Christmas Eve. Christ was born today, 1944 years ago. Peace on earth, goodwill toward all men. This peace suddenly came all over me, and I wish to quote from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. this time, Lieutenant Gisco called back to his men, and he said, let's go. We proceeded to run in a staggered formation over the Nola Hill. Now, a small arms fire from the village of, village of Eschdorf became very intense as our whole battalion of infantry moved forward. I continued to follow the lieutenant, getting up and falling down at his command. Now the Germans started to open up with their mortar, artillery, and machine guns. We had finally reached the outskirts of Eschdorf behind a farmhouse, and as we were about to group with our platoon leader, we heard a tank approaching in the near distance. We all scattered in the farmyard and lay quietly as the tank went slowly by us toward the farmhouse and then toward Eschdorf. About eight of us ran toward the house, and the rest of the men headed for the barn. 
fortunately, there were no Germans here. We went into the cellar of the house and kept close watch all at, at the entrance. It wasn't long when we heard tanks coming our way again and thinking that our armored forces finally broke through the stiff resistance. But to our dismay, it was the German armor that was in command. We all realized that our battalion was halted in reaching its objectives and a handful of men that were in the outskirts of this small village were trapped. I now began to pray to the Blessed Virgin to save us. As I prayed ceaselessly, I closed my eyes momentarily and saw the Blessed Virgin dressed in black throwing a black veil over us. We were watching the German tanks moving about the farmyard, hoping and praying that we would not be discovered. Daylight was soon upon us on Christmas Day. All that morning, everything was quiet, with the tanks in the same position, waiting to spit out the death and destruction. Soon I began to hear our artillery. The shells were slamming all around us. Then our planes began to strafe the whole area. This continued on for hours. Then we heard voices upstairs and they were yelling in German. We hurriedly fixed our bayonets and were ready for what was to come. I continued to pray the Hail Marys as we anxiously awaited. We all waited breathlessly as seconds seemed like hours. Soon the voices were gone and I thanked the Blessed Virgin. The shelling continued on through the night. We all knew that our forces were getting ready for another attack on Eschdorf. That attack came in the early morning hours. We could not leave our, our cellar for we were caught in a crossfire. The top part of the farmhouse had now collapsed from all the shelling. Our planes began to strafe again and again. And after a long silence, we looked out in the farmyard and saw our GIs walking toward us. We all were overjoyed. The Germans had retreated. I immediately started running toward Hostard. And suddenly my eyes were gazing upon all my fallen comrades. My heart was saddened as I continued to walk slowly back to town. And then I spotted my little Italian friend, clutching his rifle in one hand and a small gas burner in the other hand. He was killed Christmas Eve. Christ was born Christmas Eve. As I prayed in a small church on a hill, my thoughts were with all my fallen brothers. For God had called them to their eternal reward. I wish to quote from John chapter 15, verse 13. And here is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. As I left the little church, the command was given to move out. For once again, we were getting ready to meet our foe. I asked the Lord to calm my fears and grant, grant me a happy death should it come. The season of Advent will soon be upon us. It is going to be 
December 1982. Christ will be born Christmas Eve. Men will die Christmas Eve. Nothing has changed. My fellow Christians, Christ is calling on us to bring his love to the world so we may rise above the animal, to the human, and then to the divine. This, my brothers and sisters, is my Christmas experience that our Lord wanted me to share with you. Please pray for all my fallen comrades and the fallen enemy, for we all are children of God. And may we continue to pray for peace throughout the world. That was the late Frank Meyer, father of Gary Meyer, and his recollection of his time in World War II. More with Gary Meyer after the news next here on 720 WGN. Chicago radio great Gary Meyer is with us. Your father's tape that we just played before the news, there were generations that never sat and talked about their experiences. And my grandfather, uh, Joseph Gendu, he was a World War II vet. He received a Purple Heart for his injuries, which was passed on to me after, after he died back in 1986. And I remember sitting with him watching war movies like on PBS or, or, or real-time newsreels about the war. And, and only a few times he opened up and said a few things about his experience there. But it's not something a veteran openly ever wants to talk about very often, especially that generation. Let me tell you a one-off, Dave, in that same category. I was watching Hogan's Heroes one day. My father came in, and he was watching this for a few minutes, and he goes, you think this is funny? You think prisoners of war? You think that's... And I I thought, oh, my God, that's, that's right. I mean, the people that have gone through this, and now this is a sitcom mm-hmm. in the 60s. And, and that's the kind of thing where, over the years, it starts to get pretty much whitewashed and, and cleansed, and it shouldn't be. And we're seeing this today in Israel and Ukraine. It's still going on. It's funny you mentioned that show. It, you know, it, it was so popular back in its day. And, you know, you don't, obviously not thinking about any empathy. And, I mean, you're, in a, you're in, a, in a prisoner camp during World War II with the Germans, and this is a comedy. And it, yeah, was, and it was produced that's what by— I mean. As, yeah. Right. As the years went on, it just got, got watered down. Yeah, it was Bing Crosby that produced that, and he was a funny guy. He had a good sense of humor about the war. <laughs> okay, Apparently. there you go. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy about that. But like when when you when you think about, especially that generation, who most of them are, are gone by now, and that you have a recording of your father talking about that experience, that will sit with you forever. I would keep when he would leave me a voicemail. They were very long when I was, and this is when you would rewind the tape. I'd rewind, I'd hear, uh, or see the blinking light, I'd rewind the tape, mm-hmm. and I knew it was either him or comedian Richard Lewis, because those two were the ones that left the longest messages, and mm-hmm. I kept those because I thought when he's gone, that's his voice that I'll have, at least, and, and this tape is certainly part of that that I can share with my daughter, and because and, she never met him. She, he was dead before she was born, and, and that was that, so this is uh, what we have as, as the marker for her and her grandfather. You know, there's uh, Veterans Day um, ceremonies and, and celebrations happening all weekend long. Uh, Marine's birthday also this weekend. Uh, there's something happening at the American Legion Hall in Arlington Heights on Saturday night, Veterans Day. Tell us what uh, that is all about. 
this band by the name of Oh Yes, who has become the house band, if you will, for my podcast, they're performing at the American Legion Hall in Arlington Heights to raise funds for veterans. And this band, they're on YouTube. Oh Yes is the name. Uh, they're all over YouTube, and they are extraordinary as musicians, and they're doing this to raise that money to help these veterans. And uh, it's certainly worthwhile. They're going to have raffles and different things, but the entertainment alone is worth the admission price, but you're helping veterans in the process, which is the most important thing. And one day out of the year to honor veterans is hardly enough. Absolutely. The American Legion Hall in Arlington Heights, uh, Saturday, you know, the news cycle right now, it's given me whiplash. Like I think about, especially with social media, you know, I need, like, I consciously need to put the news feeds asleep after a certain time of day. Politics, the border wall, the migrant issue, uh, Trump, Biden, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, Mayor Johnson, and where, what his plan is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty wacky right now. My Friday show, as you know, is a cocktail show for that very reason, because Monday through Thursday, or from Friday to Friday, the goo and the insanity just pounds us, and I need a release. And that's when you head to your old-fashioned, I believe, and I had mm-hmm. I have my Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that helps. I'm not saying that that would do it on a regular basis and be helpful, but you're right. We, we need to do something to get our mind right. Our nervous systems are shot at this point. Um, one of the things, uh, we had talked about uh, last time you were in town was the migrant issue. And, you know, we just sold the museum of broadcast communications building. And now they're talking about taking it temporarily and turning it into a migrant shelter. And I tell you, I have police officer friends all over the city and their lobbies are filled with 80, 90 migrants. And they're putting them out in tents outside when it's about to drop to 25 degrees at night. I, I just, you know, First of all, we need we need secure borders. Second of all, we need a plan in this city to make sure that these people are taken care of and 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 somewhere and there's no plan. There's absolutely no plan. The police stations are the plan for some reason. I don't understand how you declare yourself a sanctuary city, but you have no plan to house the people that would be part of that. That seems like ready fire aim and that's why the situation is what it is today. And we obviously don't want to be uh, where we're not helping our fellow man. That's not the issue. It's you, you have them come here and then they're s- sitting in uh, tents, sleeping in tents in the, on the street. And as you mentioned, cold weather. And how does this lead to anything good? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There needs to be, there absolutely needs to be a solution here uh, in the city. Um, One of my solutions, David, was, hey, how about we get the migrants to do something all day? I'm sure they don't want to sit around all day. They go around and remove graffiti off of walls and, and pick up litter along our highways. And they're doing something. We're paying right now and yeah. everybody has something going on how yeah. about that yeah i like that i okay. like that I'll, I like that. I'll sit down and listen for my answer garymeyer.com is podcast monday through friday thanks buddy as always thank you david again for all your time